my grave is empty. I'm not a vampire or zombie or some other form of the undead. I'm not undead at all. Matter of fact, I'm not dead. I never was. But the woman and girl, standing in front of the headstone, etched with a name I no longer use, think I was. Or rather, I am. They know they buried nothing but an idea. Like so many others that day, so many who really did die when the towers fell, there was no body to bury. The aftermath of that day was as big a nightmare as the events themselves, and it was nearly two years before I was declared dead, and an empty box was lowered into the dirt. Except I never died. I am not dead. I am death. I was supposed to be in the first tower when it fell. I was supposed to be at a meeting that would change my life, my family's future. It would have given us everything we ever wanted, hoped for, and needed. It would have reduced the stress of being a new father and a young husband. Really nothing more than a child in a three-piece suit pretending he had a clue what being an adult was about. It was the big break everyone dreams about. It was exactly what I needed. But I had stopped at Flynn's down the street. Well, honestly, I had returned there from the night before, thinking the hair of the dog would make me feel better. I thought a drink would relax my nerves and help me through the meeting. Except I didn't just have one drink. I had six, before eight o'clock, and have no idea how many after. Ah, the beauty of the city that never sleeps is also its greatest downfall. I vaguely remember the television being on in the bar. I have a foggy recollection of people panicking inside the bar, others running down the street outside. When I sobered up that evening and heard what had happened, when I realized how many were dead and how many families were panicking about their loved ones, I pulled my phone from my pocket and started to dial home. I was going to tell them I was okay. Except I wasn't. I hadn't been okay for months at that point. If I ever had been. The news in the bar and on the streets claimed the families would be compensated. It didn't take me long to realize they were actually better off emotionally and financially if I was dead. So I stayed dead. My funeral? How many people have said they'd like to be a fly on the wall at their own funeral? To see who showed up and who cried. But no, I didn't make it to my own funeral. A once-in-a-lifetime opportunity I'd been given and I was in the middle of a three-day bender. While they lowered an empty casket into the ground and stamped it with a chunk of marble to mark my place in history, I was drowning the reality of my pathetic life, busily trying to drink myself to death, feeling sorry for myself, and not knowing any other way to run away from the painful truth of what I was. Alcohol had been my band-aid for years, but no bandages could patch this kind of wound, absorb this much blood, I came out of the stupor after they'd packed down the dirt, but long before they'd had a chance to seed the topsoil. I sat on the wet, dark ground of my own grave for some time, though it took me a while to find in the massive rows of St. Paul's. Missing my own placement wouldn't have been a problem if there hadn't been almost 500 others declared dead that week, a good portion of them buried in local cemeteries, including St. Paul's. Many only had little metal posts with index cards clipped to them, 
placeholders for tombstones still being carved by suddenly overworked craftsmen who didn't have enough material on hand. Some plots had nothing but wooden numbers staked into the ground. All had candles and flowers and flags, not just from friends and family, from what I observed, but from anyone and everyone who felt the punch in the gut the country took that day, whether they knew the deceased or not. A full day of searching and I found my grave just after sundown. I sat there all night. I watched the moon rise and fall, unaware of the death of the insignificant speck that was supposed to be me.